Welcome back. This is the Bless You Boys podcast. BlessYouBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. I'm your host, Brandon Day. Tonight, we're going to do a little bit of a 2019 season review for the Tigers minor league system. And with me, Detroit, or excuse me, Bless You Boys pro, uh, prospect writer, if I can spit this all out, and former baseball prospectus baseball writer, Jay Markle. Jay, how's it going tonight? I'm doing great. It's always a pleasure to be a guest on the best podcast in baseball. Oh, thanks. Maybe, maybe the best in, in Detroit Tigers baseball. We'll see. Absolutely. I always try to think of some witty thing when you ask me how I'm doing, and I can't ever seem to come up with anything good, but that's my attempt this time. <laughs> yeah, well, it is kind of a rote intro, I have to admit. I've, I've thought about changing things up a little bit and trying to surprise people, but I hate to throw people off right from the beginning. <laughs> I usually wait till that goes on a little bit longer. Yeah. So yeah, like um, I don't know. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to it, but we had uh, Dan Samborski on last night, and um, Dan Dan is a talker, and Dan is obviously like a hugely knowledgeable person. Um, if people didn't hear that podcast, he's the creator of the Zips projection system. Uh, wrote for ESPN for years. Writes for Fangraphs now. Um, so it was cool to talk to him. But yeah, he you know he's someone I could just like turn loose and just let go. He was a, he's he was an open book, and but you just never know. You know, you never know what you're gonna get. It's an unenviable job to have to follow Dan. Yeah. Well, no, you'll be fine. It's a whole different, whole different subject matter, really. So it'll be all right. <laughs> How's life been treating you lately? Uh, I know you, you kind of had a lot of change over this this past season. Um, new job, like moving whole the whole shebang. Yeah, yeah. It's been crazy lately. So I grew up in a little town called Plainwell. It's in Allen County. Um, I don't blame you if you've never heard of it, but I moved from there all the way to Lansing. Oh yeah. I'm working for a small company now, surveying telephone poles um, for fiber optic companies. Um, Sounds pretty good. You know, I, it's been pretty wild. I also am learning sign language. Oh, sweet. Uh, American sign language, yeah. So I'll plug, or if any of you guys listening know sign language, I'd appreciate the assist. <laughs> um, in any case, it's... It's been it's been pretty crazy with me lately. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear the job is going good. How uh, can I ask how old you are right now? Are you 20? No, no, I'm 19. You're still only 19. My goodness, you're doing well yeah. for yourself. <laughs> I believe that you you guys hired me uh, three and a half years ago. Yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy that you were yeah you were that young, but you you were just like so competent and into it from the beginning that we were just like oh well all right yeah we'll give it a shot. I don't want to be all ageist oh, yeah. or anything. You piling flattery on me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought it was funny because one of the first conversations we had, you know, we were talking about your long-term goals and you were talking about wanting to write for Baseball Prospectus and you've already done that and left. <laughs> so, yeah, you're, uh, you're well, way ahead of schedule. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right on. So, I mean, overall, it's been, you know, kind of a kind of an up and down year as almost any year in a giant, you know, giant organization like a like a farm system is. There's been good and bad. Um, you know, Franklin Perez, obviously, barely pitched this year and was kind of a mess. And that really hurts the, the farm system. But then you have Tarek Skubal, who just, you know, completely blows up and dominates uh, the Florida State League, comes up to Erie and everybody's like, well, all right, let's see if he can carry. Oh, and then we all just went like, oh, no, <laughs> he's striking out two batters per inning on average. This is insane. Um, so that kind of made up for that. But, there, you know, there's been some up and down like that. Um, one thing I, you know, I did talk to Dan Samborski about a little bit was just about farm system rankings. And, um, you know, as someone whose who's valuations, you know, inform Fangraph's rankings in particular, you know, Dan didn't seem to put a whole ton of stock in that in that sort of thing. I mean, I, you can look at Fangraph's and I think the Tigers are now ranked ninth um, at, overall. And that's that's kind of like their new ranking. I think that just came out a couple of weeks ago. Baseball America, I think, had us like 13th or 14th. So that seems to be the range, like somewhere between there. Um I mean, do you agree with, with where they've got us generally? And do you care? Do you think that's really some a, a good way of measuring things um, for someone, say, like, you know, a team owner like Chris Illich, just theoretically? <laughs> well, that assumes Chris Illich cares, which is questionable. Yeah, that is questionable. Yeah. Highly questionable. But do you care? I I look at it when new rankings come out. But I honestly couldn't tell you where the Tigers rank on any of these major publications lists because... Um, to me, the only time the Tigers should be comparing themselves to other teams in terms of rankings is when it comes to the MLB club. As far as the minor league goes, the only thing you can ask them to do is get better. 
So even if they were the number one team, I'd still want them to get better. The Tigers' bench would not be the White Sox or the Braves or the Blue Jays or whoever else. The White, the Tigers' benchmark should be the Tigers. Yeah, yeah, I like that answer. And I, you know, and I think there, there's something flawed just just in general in separating out the the farm system from the ma- major league club because you know even if we were second or third, you know, in people's rankings, like yeah, that would that would feel better to us, but. It doesn't actually, you know, mean anything organizationally if you look at the major league club and think, uh, you know, there's only like, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine, maybe ten if we're lucky, you know, true major league, you know, players on that roster. You know, someone might have a terrible farm system, but if they've got a whole bunch of young players already in the major leagues, you know, it's uh, it's a, it's they're way ahead is basically basically the issue. And I mean, the perfect example I think is the the Dodgers because you know the Dodgers will, will probably slip substantially in those rankings, but it's because they graduated all in about a year's time. Walker Bueller, Gavin Lux, Alex Verdugo, Dustin May, Will Smith, like all these guys would be in the Tigers top five um, if they were still there. So yeah, you know, hey, feel good about being, you know, having a better farm system than the Dodgers, but the Dodgers have like eight players, you know, 25 or under who are, you know, all studs. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if it means much. I mean, I guess it's it's okay to like look at it and be like, well, at least we're making progress there. But the reason I, I start with that is because obviously Chris Illich, you know, was talking about you know how he thought things were going well, you know, with the the organization, and that you know that's all he really looks at is you know how is the farm system doing compared to other farm systems, and that's uh, that's a mm. terrible terrible metric to go by. It really is, and the other reason is because um, ranking farm systems is just as subjective as ranking the players within the farm systems. It's all about what you like better. You know, some, some teams prefer guys who are risky with upside, uh, like the Rangers. Some teams prefer like the, the Dombrowski era tigers really like to draft guys who get to double a quickly so he could trade them. It's all in the eye of the beholder. And so what Fangraph sees, Baseball America doesn't see, and Baseball Prospectus doesn't see, and so on and so forth. It's all in the Yep, yep. And I think it can fool you, because, I mean, the, the one thing about the Fangraph ranking is that, you know, they're using zips to project all the, you know, the, all the minor league players and assign, you know, future war value and all that kind of thing. But, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at those rankings and getting upset because Miami and Arizona are ahead of us now and theoretically started their rebuilds, you know, at the same time or after us, yeah, I just I just think that's that's a pretty bad way to go about it. Um, so, all right, let's kind of get into it. I mean, let's let's kind of break this up into a chunk here to to start with, because obviously the strength of the the entire farm system is in its pitching, uh, particularly the pitchers who are in the upper minors. Um, so, why don't we just kind of run run through that a little bit? Like overall, the Tigers have at least three pretty pretty top shelf arms if we look at. Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Tarek Skubal now, I think, you know, edging into that territory. Maybe you'll disagree or, or want to see him a little bit longer. But then there's also that second tier of Franklin Perez, Joey Wentz, Alex Fajardo, um, and guys who are a little bit behind there, Funkhauser, Burroughs, you know, whoever you like, Anthony Castro. Um, overall, I mean, would you put the Tigers, you know, pitching strength as, as one of the best in the game as far as the, the farm system is going? Absolutely. Absolutely, I would. Um, between Casey Mize and Matt Manning being two of the best pitchers in the whole of the minor leagues and uh, Alex Fajardo starting to look like, you know, to evaluate or something again. And uh, I guess I get into it a little bit in more in depth if you like, but um, Joey Wentz, I think, is probably better than people are giving him credit. They They definitely have some of the best pitching talent in the game. Yeah. Yeah, I have to agree. All right, so let's let's take a look at their seasons. Um, why don't you why don't you give me your take on Casey Mize's season just to start with? Because obviously everyone is going to key in on Casey Mize and Matt Manning, so we'll talk about them individually and then kind of look at the group as a whole beyond that, I guess. Sure. Okay. So Casey Mize did pretty much exactly what I was hoping he would do. Um, while I imagine he probably could have ended in Toledo, I'm not really sweating it as much as other people were because in the end, um, whether he was in Toledo to end this season or not doesn't probably doesn't impact when they'll call him up because service clock gaming is such an integral part of today's strategy, like it or not. Um, so to me, I don't really care where he's getting his innings 
the last month of the season as long as they continue to be competitive innings. Um, he continued to strike out just under a batter in inning, which is kind of what we saw from him last year. He's not a big strikeout arm, and I think people were expecting him to have more strikeouts than he did when the Tigers picked him first overall. But that's not his. He's not necessarily the flashiest pitcher, and and that's okay because he's good. Um, so we don't want a flashy pitcher who'll implode once in a while, and that's not what you're going to get with Casey Mize. Um, I think in the long run, even though he did have some pretty tragic meltdowns after he was coming back from that injury, yeah. Um, I, you know, that's not what you're going to see from him long term unless he can, continues to get injured again. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think the season ended on a down note because of that, and I, you know, and I do think there is there is some room for concern um, on that front, just because he's never really, you know, been a guy who's pitched beyond 100 innings yet. Um, you know, didn't you know had a tendency in college, you know, to to kind of burn out a little bit late in the season, and had the same thing happen to him again this year. But um, you know, I don't want to make too much of that because, I mean. I guess the way I looked at Casey Mize coming into the season is that he was pretty close to major league ready, probably could pitch in the majors, you know, from the beginning of the season and hang at least, you know, and do okay. Um, so really all it was about is getting used to, you know, pitching every fifth day, getting used to the pro lifestyle, um, making sure that, you know, j- just kind of like getting a chance to, to look at his stuff versus double A hitters and kind of, and kind of get a feeling for what he's going to be like as a, as a pro. And I think we got all that. Um, you know, the, the issue with his shoulder and whether or not he can kind of build up his durability is something that's going to have to be answered um, in the longer term. But yeah, I think overall, I think, you know, th- there really isn't much to be too concerned about um, in the in the strikeouts either. Um, Casey Mize is a guy who has so many pitches that, you know, he, what he tends to do is just pound strikes, but with such a diverse mix of stuff that it, it's just rarely hit hard. Um, I'm sure you saw some of those games early on with Erie, like beyond the no-hitter, you know, there just wouldn't be much, much hard contact against him at all. Um, and a lot of times guys wouldn't even get to two strikes before they would just, you know, kind of take the out and swing at something out of the strike zone, you know, chase the splitter, um, chase a cutter that was on their hands, you know, whatever it was. So, you know, the strikeouts you're going to want to see come up. And I think because he worked on that slider last off season, I kind of expected that there might be a little jump there, but, um, but yeah, overall, I didn't really have any concerns. I mean, he looks like, you know, he should be about ready to go. Um, next year, whenever the Tigers, you know, des- decide they want to, I think the interesting question, and I'll pose this to you, is, you know, what? How would you approach moving pitching prospects to Toledo right now, knowing that the ball is now, you know, hotter and and you know, kind of of a par with the major league baseball, and seems to be flying out of the park um, with regularity. The international league saw, you know, a huge spike in home runs that was pretty reminiscent of what happened, you know, the second half of 2015 and 2016 when the ball apparently, you know, who knows specifically, but seems to have changed. Um, does that, you know, does that alter the calculus for you about when you would promote pitchers? Um, that depends on how much I value them as a prospect, to be completely honest. Uh, a scout put it to me one time that there are two kinds of minor league ball players: the prospects and the guys that the teams pay to play catch with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. which is a completely ruthless way to put it, but it's it's honestly the truth. So for a guy like Casey Mize, um, who is one of the most prized prospects in the whole sport, you know, top 20 virtually no matter who you ask, yep. he, he's worth treating delicately because, uh, you know, the, you don't want a chance in screwing this one up. But on the other hand, for a guy who's a little less important for someone who's a little less important to the team's future. And I'm just going to throw Elvin Rodriguez under the bus here, even though he's a guy that I like more than most people in the industry. Um, he's a little less, uh, cautious. I'd say throw him into the fire because that's the ball that you're going to face in the major league. So if you can't, if you can't make it work in triple a against inferior competition, that's going to give the team a pretty good idea that you can't make it work in the major leagues. All. So, but on the other hand, if a guy who they're a little less concerned about um, is is hot in AAA to start, especially on a club like the 19 Tigers, who have been just horrible, no matter how you slice it, <laughs> yeah, stick him in the majors. See how long he can ride that hot streak. Yeah, I mean, right now, 
you know, as a result of it, it kind of feels like teams are a little bit reluctant maybe to send guys to AAA for as long as maybe they, they would have um, three or four years ago, where maybe you would you would actually keep a guy there for a year before you even started to think about bringing him up to the major leagues. And then there'd be the bouncing up and down kind of portion of it. Whereas, you know, AAA is starting to become like a real short finishing school. I mean, I'm speaking in, in pretty big generalizations here, but but teams, you know, tend to put guys there and then especially pitching prospects with the hope that, OK, they'll, you know, they'll be all right. They'll get exposed to the major league ball and pretty quickly we're just going to bring them up because there isn't that much point staying there. I, it's just interesting because I don't know if, if teams are looking at it like, you know, this is a proving ground to see, like, is this guy's fastball going to play the way we think it will in the majors? Or is he going to have, you know, some kind of, you know, final adjustment needed or, or some work that needs to be done to limit the home runs because that's just a, it's just such a, a strange, you know, facet of the game right now that the home runs are just out of control and even, you know, really dominant pitchers like Justin Verlander, um, you know, Matt Boyd in, in every other way looks pretty dominant, but you know, is giving up tons and tons of home runs and you don't want to expose them to that unless you have some kind of a plan for how you're going to deal with it. If, if it all goes wrong. So yeah, I think it, it it's a complicating factor right now and you just don't even know, if maybe that'll just change, like maybe the ball is, you know, maybe the ball snaps back a year from now and all of a sudden Matt Boyd looks like Patrick Corbin from, you know, a year ago or something. It's, it's really hard to, to know what to make of it. It really is hard to know what to make of it because there's not really a precedent for it in recent memory. It's like a completely different element to how you manage your prospects. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, I, I imagine, you know, scouting directors and player development personnel are, you know, really scrambling to kind of figure out, you know, how this, you know, should affect the way they promote guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you know, once you've kind of dominated double A, there just isn't that much else for you to do. So yeah, you'd have to assume that Casey Mize starts the year in, in Toledo, presumably. I, w- I wouldn't mess around um, w- w- with starting him at Erie, except for maybe like a, like a little tune-up early in the season, you know, a couple starts there, a couple, and then move to Toledo with an eye to making the jump. Um does that kind of sound right to you, or do you think he's going to need more time? Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Um, I think the there's a difference between what the organization should do and what the organization will do, because um, they haven't seemed to be in much of a rush when it comes to getting out of this rebuild. Uh, but I agree with you that they probably should do that. With the caveat that if, for some reason, his um, shoulder still doesn't feel great, and I really, really, really hope that's not the case because that would be indicative of something terribly wrong with either him or the organization and the way they handle their medical staff. But um, unless that's the case, absolutely, put him in Toledo. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, and I, I kind of had this attitude with Jake Rogers as well. Um, you know, it's a totally different thing. But at a certain point, you know, if, if a guy is going to, especially guys who I feel like are fairly close to, to who they're going to be, like you might as well start getting that value out of them at the major league level and start, you know, start seeing what they've got because, you know, if catchers don't don't gen, you know, catcher defense generally at least doesn't tend to hold up for 7 8 years. And the same is probably true of a pitcher like Casey Mize who, you know, is a little bit of a high effort guy and might always be a guy who's who's sort of a a 6 inning type starter. Um, you know, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I don't want to pin that on him right now, but um but he doesn't really feel like a guy who you who you're gonna expect to get, you know, Justin Verlander kind of innings out of really at any point. Um, I don't know. Maybe it'll be different, but that's how I I would look at it. And right it's now. strange. And it's strange to say those kinds of things about a guy who was, you know, the slam dunk number one. Even a year out, there's no one we would have rather taken with that pick. And and, and well, the huge majority of the league. Oh, really? You would have rather had Joey Bart? No, I mean, I could see, you know, I could see Jared Kalanick. In any case. It's it's strange to say those kinds of things about a guy who's one of the best prospects in the game and without a doubt at this point the best in his draft class. But the that just goes to show you how um, important that small level of certainty with him is. Yeah. Because as, as much as we're hesitant to predict that he'll ever, you know, have those strikeout numbers or have the dominance, you know, he's almost assuredly going to be a mid-rotation starter. And for to be able to say that about a prospect is just an incredible thing. Yeah, it's just really rare that there's a, 
a pitching prospect that that you feel that that comfortable with like that this you know this guy almost right now could go out and and probably be a mid-rotation starter almost from the moment we drafted him so yeah I mean it was kind of it was a tricky position for the Tigers to be in and it just goes to show how sometimes you know having the number one pick can be is is always better than not having it I guess but (laughs) but it can also kind of become like its own sort of self-fulfilling prophecy where you know everyone knows this guy is the consensus number one pick and it makes it even harder, you know, for, for a front office to go in any kind of a radically different direction. Um, and the Tigers aren't the type to go in any radically different directions, I guess, to begin with. But um, but overall, I mean, yeah, I, I think all these all these concerns are minor, I, I still think, and, and could be overblown um, just in the fact that, you know, his season didn't end the way we, that we wanted to. But um, one way or the other, he's going to have to come out next year and, and kind of show that durability, I think. That's sort of the last step. But other than that... Should be ready to go. <clears throat> um, all right. So let's move on to number two here because th- this is the big dog. You know, this is my guy. Um, what was your what were your impressions of Matt Manning this season? Good Lord, I was wrong about him when we drafted him. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I won't, I, there's no point in charting for it because I've been wrong about a million other things. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Shall I remind you of our Jay Groom versus uh, Colby Allard yeah. bet? Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yep. No, don't uh, yeah, he's <laughs> tremendous. I'm, <laughs> I'm completely on board with you with Matt Manning. Um, I think he has the highest ceiling of anyone in the Tigers system, and I don't think that's much of a stretch to say that because when he's on, no one can touch him. The fact that he's able to show such a nasty changeup is a really encouraging sign to me. Um, I'm curious. Brandon, do you think that says more about Matt Manning or says more about the Tigers coaching system that it pops out once in a while? Um, I mean, overall, I, I have leaned back more toward thinking that almost everything has more to do with the player um, and that we probably overrate like the, the actual impact that coaches can have a lot of the time. Um, so, you know, I know they've been playing with, with various grips, trying to find something that he felt comfortable with until, you know, it was really like late last season. Um, you know, like really like the final, you know, start or two for Lakeland and the first couple for Erie, where all of a sudden he's popping this nasty change up with all this drop and fade to it. And, and, you know, just, just kind of blew us away. Like, oh, you know, there was, there were so many leaps that Matt Manning made last season that, that didn't kind of show up on the radar in the prospecting community, I thought, until late in the year. And, you know, a lot of what happened in the, the first part of the season was him just sort of, you know, establishing all that as, you know, as more more like a new baseline or new floors for himself where the changeup was good, um, sometimes would flash plus. Um, and same thing with the curveball. And I actually thought it kind of faded, you know, like his, his touch with both the Secondary pitches faded a little bit um, as the season went along. Maybe he just got a little, little bit worn down. Um, he's been the, the the real workhorse so far. Um, but you know, I I hesitate to I just hesitate to assign too much credit to the coaches. And that's not a shot at the Tigers' coaches because I think you know from talking to Matt, you know he really liked um, Jorge Cordoba. You know they had a really good relationship. And you know overall, like the impressions I've gotten from him were that you know the coaching was was pretty good. He, he found a lot that was useful. Um, so yeah, I mean, I really, I really don't know. I, I tend to think it's mostly the player and the more you hear about, you know, Casey Mize, Alex Fajardo and Matt Manning, like having throwing, throwing sessions, you know, with the three of them all there, checking the Rapsodo data, giving each other little suggestions and trying to tweak things. Um, you know, the more you see that it's, you know, it, it's much more of like a community kind of process if you're doing it right, I think, than just expecting, you know, one or two brilliant coaches to have it all figured out for you. I love that so much that the three of them are both um, driving well together and that they're into the analytics. That, that just touches my little baseball heart. Yeah, and I, and I didn't really take that impression from, from Matt um, or, or really from comments, you know, Alex Fajardo has made. And I, and I do kind of wonder if it wasn't a lot of the, the Casey Mize influence, you know, coming in there. Um, with great familiarity with all those tools and, and try and maybe, you know, maybe spurring those guys a little bit to, to use them more often or, you know, in, in group sessions like that, rather than just, you know, checking themselves like, ah, is this, you know, is, am I, is my grip right? You know, am I doing something different? 
you can use it for all those sort of things to keep keep yourself online with little benchmarks in your delivery, um, your grip, your release, and all that sort of stuff using the high speed cameras. But um, but yeah, having like a an environment of of creativity and collaboration, I think is is pretty great. Yeah, and you know that would make sense if if it was the Casey Mize influence, because I got to give it to the guy; he's got something for every baseball fan. Um, I mean, ERA isn't really my thing, and neither is the makeup, the it factor. Yeah. But, but if you're an ERA fan, I mean, he <laughs> up until that one night where he gave up five earned runs and in .2 innings right after he came back from his injury, he he was riding like a sub one and a sub two for most of the year. Yeah. He handles the media really, really well. I mean, that interview after his no hitter and his double A debut barely talked about himself at all, unless the the media asked him direct questions about himself. Yeah. By all accounts, he's a spectacular competitor with a very good mindset. I mean, he's got something for every baseball fan. And so I'm really looking forward to having him on the major league team yeah, for that for reason that also. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Get I mean, people to stop, stop complaining. complaining. I know I'm, I'm really, <laughs> yeah, it's just all starting to wear on my nerves. There's a lot of people on Twitter who I like, who I, I almost can't pay any attention to anymore just because, you know, if you're upset that Alavila is still the GM or that, you know, Ron, if you're upset with all these things you can't control anyway, like, that's fine. I'm upset with some of them, but there's just nothing to talk about there anymore, you know? I mean, the Tigers are obviously <laughs> going to stay on this track for a couple more years. You know, these are their guys, so I'd rather just focus on, you know, the players, what they can, and what they can actually do as opposed to just, yeah, just the endless kind of whinging that goes on. Yeah. Um, all right. So, I mean, do you think, I guess one question I'd have left about Matt Manning is, um, I mean, do you, do you still project that there's much more to come or do you think it's just a matter of kind of refining the curve and, and the change up and, you know, tightening the command a little bit more and that's, that's what you're going to get. I haven't seen him in a while. So I really, I can't give an educated comment on whether there's more to come, but I would definitely love to see him tighten up that command a bit more because that's going to be his key. I think, from what I've read and what I've seen in videos. Um, because when he's able to spot that fastball where he wants it, whew, yeah. yep. no one no can one hit, it. hit it. Yep. So if he can do that with regularity, that'll transfer to the majors just fine. Yeah, I agree. And the one thing that's nice about you know both Matt and, uh, and Casey Mize is that they haven't been home run prone in the slightest in the minor leagues. Like they really, really have been stingy. Um, it, there just isn't, you know, isn't mm-hmm. much hard contact in the air at all. I, I guess I'll say that I still think uh, Matt is going to fill out and probably add another another tick to his fastball velocity average. Um, I don't know if he's ever going to quite be, you know, Noah Syndergaard, which has always kind of jokingly been the been the comp. But um, but I still think there's room for him to put a little bit more muscle on uh, to develop his lower half. You know, you mentioned something I think for B Pro last year about you know we, I guess we were kind of coming at it from different sides, but. You know, he he collapses a lot on his on his stride leg or on his on his le- on his plant leg, excuse me, and um and also kind of collapses the you know the drive knee as well a little bit and sort of you know kinks it inward. There's been there's there are just some little little touch ups like that that I think we've all kind of been been looking for him to make where maybe he would just shorten his stride you know just just a couple inches because it's already absolutely enormous and mm-hmm. when you watch him pitch it looks like the ball is coming off the very front of the mound um, at these guys and just exploding in their face basically so mm-hmm. yeah and I think he did I saw some signs later on in the season that he looked like he wasn't going quite as deep on his you know in his knee bend on his left leg was kind of you know tightening that up a little bit and starting to get a little bit of a higher um, a higher angle um, so I'd like to see a little bit of that still. I could I could see some improvements there, and I still would like to see them at least try to try to teach him a slider because I I just have the feeling it might go better with you know the the style of fastball he usually is throwing um, than a curveball might. But you know these are these are fine details that we'll we'll just have to see how they they shake out as he goes along here. Now, where do you think the sweet spot is between? Um, that extension and the control he would gain by calming it down. And the reason I ask is because obviously many a player with a huge fastball is washed out because they can't throw it where they need to throw it. But on the other hand, study after study has shown that perceived fastball velocity is massively important when it comes to the long-term success of a pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. Even much, much more so than, than pure velocity, because there are obviously guys who, 
the Tigers have a whole bunch of them um, in, in the major leagues who throw hard but are short striders and and you know it just it just diminishes the fastball. So yeah, I mean there there is kind of a sweet spot there, and I, I felt like he started started moving toward it um, this year. But it, it's it's you know it's just hard to say. I, I would like to see him use his height a little better myself, um, and I think if he was getting a little bit more downhill plane, um, even if the stride was a little shorter. Especially because I still think, like I said, that he's probably still got a little bit more um, velocity projection to come. That you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't affect him, and I think it would only help him. So yeah, I think those are good good points. He manages to stay really well balanced, considering how you know kind of awkward his lower half will look um, when he sinks into that left knee. But yeah, I still think he could find a little bit more consistency that way as well. All right, let's get on to the man of the hour here. Um, Tark Skubal. Did you, I mean, did you see this coming? Do you, do you remember what you were thinking about Tark Skubal when the season began? Um, for me, yeah. you know, I watched him as a reliever last year and was like, yeah, he looks really good, but I don't know that this guy has enough, you know, enough pitches and enough command to start. So that's why I, I started. I had exactly the same feeling as you did. Um, I saw him play in the Mid- Midwest League, and it was clear that he had those batters outclassed which is why he only spent a couple games there and i did talk to him afterwards all those recordings were tragically lost the phone i recorded them on oh no uh, which and i'm pretty upset about that because there's a huge amount of information there um so if i ever recover that you better believe it's making its way onto the site but um i didn't i didn't think he was going to be able to make it as a starter but man (laughs) I have a hard time, you know, ignoring the results now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still think, you know, like like looking at him, like th- I think there are still a few hints that maybe the, you know, the, the breaking ball could use a little bit more tightening up. Um, but really, like when he's out there throwing, you know, 60, 70% fastballs and, and just mixing in a change or the curveball or slider here and there, I just, people look so overmatched by the fastball that almost everything else seemed to play up. And I still think like against, against a better class of hitter, that might not quite be the situation. And so maybe there is still a little bit of a, like, this guy could be our Josh Hader, you know, type really hard throwing lefty who throws kind of straight over the top with that, you know, that straight backspin um, and a lot of deception uh, between that and the, and the, the changeup and like could be that type of guy, but Right now, yeah, he's definitely trending toward, uh, you know, leaping up on all the the prospect lists and and looking like he's going to be here to stay as a starter. I do think placing him on top 100s is a bit hasty. Now, I as far as I know, um, MLB Pipeline is the only one that has him on a top 100, and they're uh, I'll be political. They're not the most reliable source. Yeah, yeah. Um, nobody but, nobody's favorite source. <laughs> is is MLB Pipeline? Not that they're terrible, but yeah, they're just it's it's extremely right. user friendly. I'll give it that. I, and you know, anyone who's brand new to the sport, absolutely, I would suggest going to Fangraphs and MLB Pipeline for your two starter sites. But um, maybe middle of next year, if he still looks great, sure, he's a top one hundred prospect. I think. Yeah, I mean, I could see him. I could see him in the top one hundred right now, but but. At the very back end, I think Fangraphs has him as a as a forty five future value guy. Um, I think that's a reasonable a reasonable perspective to take. It's just that I watched him so much, um, like toward the end of the season, and it was just sort of overwhelmingly dominant stuff. Like you know, like you don't see very often. I believe that Tarek Skubal had the the best xFIP in all the major leagues, and his FIP was not far behind. You know, it was like maybe third overall, something like that. I mean. Compared to all pitchers in the in the minor leagues, um, yeah, Scoobles' season was just just ridiculous. Well, he ended his Double A campaign. I just looked him up real quick on Fangraphs with a 126 FIP and a 127 xFIP, which outperforms his ERA by nearly a full run. Um, and that is with I just noticed this a 3.43 batting average on balls in play. Yeah, yeah, which so is that would indicate he got, got unlucky. <laughs> yep, yep. Which That's is wild. how 
It is. I mean, I think it's it's pretty hard to get unlucky um, with that eerie outfield. <laughs> That's one little factor I've kind of had in the back of my head that maybe, you know, some of these guys are going to have a few more balls drop in because, you know, anytime a ball was in the air against, you know, off of Scooble, Manning, Mize, any of those guys, um, you know, you've got Derek Hill, Jose Azokar, and uh, Cam Gibson out there running them all down. So, yeah, that was, um, I think that's an, an interesting factor. But yeah, I just, I just did not see many balls hit hard. Even that one start late in the year where he kind of, um, kind of got blown up a little bit. It was still a, a lot of just seeing eye ground balls, um, a blooper that dropped in, and then maybe one ball hit hard, you know, in the mix. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't any kind of consistent hard contact even in that one outing. So, yeah, overall it was, uh, it was explosive stuff. And I thought one thing that's really interesting about him is how. It's not just that he uses his fastball so much, but he changes speeds with it so much. You know, he just seemed to, like, have that whole effective velocity, you know, thing down to where he might he might start you out 92 away and throw you a strike there, locate it well, and then maybe mix a change up in. And then it would just be, you know, 96, 97 up and in. And guys were just, you know, just swinging at nothing. So, Yeah. That was pretty interesting. I thought there were some elements there that I thought showed some pretty good like feel and and understanding of pitching as well as you know just the, just the raw quality of his stuff. Yeah, raw quality of stuff will do a lot of things for you, but the very best pitchers have both, and so that's encouraging to hear. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think you know you mentioned Joey Wentz earlier, and I think both of us probably I don't know how you felt when the trade went down but I was pretty happy to get Joey Wentz and I've been nothing but impressed um since we got him and I think he and Scooble make an interesting comparison just because of the the similar arm slot um the fact that they they do kind of throw that straight over the top sort of invisible um where where it's just you know when you when the pitch is coming from more of a side angle I think it's easier to sort of track velocity because there's more plane in the background you know there's like a couple different angles to sort of draw comparison with but when a guy is throwing it straight down at you and then the, the changeup is coming out of that same that same spot it's just really hard to pick up the velocity it seems like in the and even at 92 93 um it just didn't seem like they could touch scoobal at all and it's not that his sprint spin rate was anything you know outrageous i think he was you know slightly above average um according to fan graphs like 2350 um uh, but when you're using that spin perfectly and that's that's really the hotness as far as pitch design um, these days, it just it just goes to show how how much more effective your stuff can be. Were you did you watch um were you watching the Tigers much when Justin Wilson was relieving for us? I mean he was he was sort of the same type of guy who could just never really never really find the breaking ball consistently and didn't always have his good command. But it was just such a such a dynamite fastball for a left hander. Um, and it explains why we actually you know got Isaac Paredes for him when we couldn't get you know basically anything for JD Martinez or or Nick Castellanos cuz uh that, that was an appealing arm even though it didn't work out so well for the Cubs. Yeah. So can I backtrack here for a second to something you said a minute ago? Uh, sure, go for it. So for those of us less educated and I say that like that doesn't include me, um could you please explain what you mean by invisible? Oh, the invisible is, I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but there are pitchers like um, Yusmario Petit, um, the reliever who pitched for the, the Giants for a long time. Um, Mike Fires is another guy like this, where they throw really, really straight over the top, and you just don't see the ball till till pretty late in their delivery, as compared to some other guys who are, you know, more, you know, orthodox three-quarters type of deliveries. Um, it kind of goes back to, I think, I don't know for sure if the, the term was used with Sandy Koufax, but it was just that sort of like straight over the top um, fastball that just has tons of riding life. And, you know, you, you pair that with a, a sharp breaking curveball or a good change up out of the same slot. And it's just really hard to to pick up. And hitters would always <laughs> talk about the fact that like you just you almost couldn't see it. Um, and the same thing is actually kind of true of um, Clayton Kershaw. Um, you know, he he was kind of that same style pitcher where it was like that really high, slow curveball with a ton of topspin and then the the riding straight four-seamer with, you know, no real horizontal movement to it, almost maybe even cutting a little bit at time. But yeah, but that just that straight over the, the, the top slot where the ball is hidden until late. Um, it's just a term that gets thrown around, and I don't know, I use it as shorthand sometimes. So when talking about deception, um, how does that compare to a Alex Fiedo kind of deception where Alex Fiedo gets his deception because his delivery is just so flipping weird. 
Yeah, it's he's got a little bit of that jerkiness. I don't think that holds up that well. Um, it, personally, I you know like that's the kind of thing that maybe the first time you see a guy or the first time in an outing, like he can kind of throw you throw you off. Um, you know, other guys can get it done just because they have you know real late arm acceleration where it just seems to you know the ball just seems to come out way faster than than the the pitcher's body motion would lead you to believe. Um, Daniel Norris kind of has a little bit of that. Um, which is why Daniel Norris can still kind of, you know, blow people away high in the strike zone, even at 90, 91, because there's just, he hides the ball well, he's a little closed with his right shoulder to you, and then, you know, it's just on you faster than you expect. There's so many, you know, deception is a is an awesome and interesting subject, and I wish I knew more about it. Um, it it's, it's definitely an interesting topic, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I think Alex Faito really has that much deception once you've kind of once you've kind of gotten his rhythm, you know, it's not really, um, you know, like someone like Mike Clevenger, um, you know, who just has this real herky jerky, you know, delivery. And then it's 96 in your face like um, that, that can work. And some of the guys who hesitate a little bit like that, that's interesting. But I've also seen Mike Marcus Stroman, like kind of throw himself out of whack um, as an example by, by trying to, you know, stand on his right leg and, and kind of wiggle and do all this, you know, yeah. <laughs> Johnny Cueto type stuff and, and kind of start to lose yeah. his rhythm a little bit. So yeah, it's kind of a pick your poison kind of thing there. I think, you know, I read um, here, I'll, I'll go into this just because I've been reading um, this book, the sports gene by David Epstein. And I don't know if you're familiar with, or, or if our listeners are familiar, familiar with Malcolm Gladwell. Um, but David Epstein kind of does what Malcolm Gladwell does better like taking a lot of um, scientific research and, and new studies and kind of, you know, finding ways to, to weave a whole bunch of different stories about that into a narrative about performance and, you know, the argument about nature and nurture. But one thing he talked about um, baseball-wise in this book and in an interview I heard recently were, was where he was talking about how hitters um, pick up the baseball. Because if you test, like, the general population and then you test, you know, whoever, whoever you want, you know, whatever Mike Trout, for example, Mike Trout probably doesn't <laughs> just, have, just, you know, a ball player, Mike yeah, Trout. Yeah. But if you put them in a, in a situation they're unfamiliar with where you have to re- react to a light going on and push a button, something along those lines, like a pure reaction time reflexes test, it's probably the, the case that Mike Trout isn't any better than you or I, like, um, that's what they found over and over again, that there really isn't much of a, a variation in terms of, of, how fast signals, you know, travel from brain to finger to push the button. Um, you know, everybody's, you know, visual processing speed is, is pretty much the same. What it, what it really comes down to is pattern recognition, um, more, more than anything, because as we know, you can't see the baseball, like you can't watch the baseball, you know, from the time it's like 10 feet out of the pitcher's hand to the plate. Like you'll never see it. Um, you have to predict where it's going to be and swing to that spot. Um, and all these things, it's like, it's been super interesting to learn all that and, and to start to apply it. But one thing he, um, one of the studies that he referenced was in terms of like, um, badminton players and how they would ask them, they would show them like a, a brief image of two people playing badminton and like expert players could tell you everything that was going on and predict where the ball, where the shuttlecock, excuse me, was about to be hit all by like the angle of the wrist, um, of, of the person hitting it. And hit, and the, the postulation was that the, the same is true for hitters trying to watch pitchers, but it's the shoulder. Like, it's actually like getting a good view of a guy's shoulder that really kind of tells you a lot of information if you've played, you know, tons and tons of baseball and have the brain to sort of pick all that up. So um, it's interesting to think about that in terms of deception, like that maybe it's actually like hiding, you know, keeping the shoulder out of sight um, as long as possible rather than the ball, which is what you know, a lot of people have always kind of assumed is that the longer you keep the ball behind you, um, the later it is in your delivery before the ball is, you know, visible to the hitter, the better it is. That might all be true, but it's actually like picking up the pattern of your arm motion um, that a great hitter like a Miguel Cabrera, you know, can do and, and see things before they even happen in a way that, you know, anyone else wouldn't be able to. Um, and it's that rather than, you know, Miggy having, you know, ridiculous quick twitch muscle, muscle fibers or reaction time um, that allows them to be such a great pure hitter. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's been, that's been some interesting reading, I'll tell you. Yeah, it sounds interesting. The more and more that we understand about the brain 
it's just a it's just a wild, wild. thing. Yeah, it's a dang miracle. <laughs> I mean, it really is. The more you understand it, the more the more like you can break down the science of it. The more I'm still just sort of like that is insane. <laughs> like, are you kidding? That's yeah. how this works. It can do all that. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, when you like the plasticity issues, like when people have injuries and how you know, like the brain will compensate uh, and and do different and change its structure, sort of. To, to do what's necessary, it's uh, it's fascinating. But I digress. Um, let's talk well, about... Well, we knew this episode would be full of digressions. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. Tangents and, digre- and digression is our, our stock and trade. But let's, uh, yeah, let's get your take on, on Joey Wentz then. What did, uh, what did you see from him coming down the stretch? I mean, it was hard not to be impressed by what he showed when he was with Erie. Um, just rattle off the numbers real quick. I pulled up his page on Fangraphs. Nearly 13 strikeouts per nine. Less than two walks per nine. Um, 210 ERA, 227 fielding independent. That's really good. Yeah. Uh, batting average on balls in play, 315. So yeah. slightly above average. Um, so that ought to go down, meaning his other numbers ought to get better. I wish it worked like that, but it <laughs> it just indicates that the the skill was completely on display. But um, I was talking to some other Blessed Boy staffers, and they weren't completely convinced that Joey Wentz was breakout primed. He was my 2020 breakout prospect pick. Um, but if you go back another six starts, he was nearly not just as dominant, but nearly as dominant in his six starts with the Braves being traded. So that's an 11 start sample. Yeah, I think enough, maybe not completely certain, certain but, but tangible but... evidence that he's a decent breakout pick for the next season. Um, He's got good prospect pedigree. He was considered one of the better lefties in his class when he was drafted, and his development has just been delayed due to injuries. It's taken him a long time to come back from, but it's possible that he's back with a full head of steam and the Tigers were able to buy low in an intelligent way. Yep, I like that take. I mean, just to kind of give some of the you know the, 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 raw, <laughs> the raw numbers of the man, I mean, still just 21 years old, 6'5", They've got him listed at 210. He looks a little bigger than that to me. Um, he is a big son of a gun uh, on the mound with a, you know, with as we discussed with Scooble, like that that really high arm slot and a ton of downhill plane. Um, and it, from what I saw of him, it really looked like hitters could not distinguish fastball changeup, and he had people, you know, making, making themselves look bad all over the place. Um, I think that's a pretty decent breakout pick. Um, where, I mean, where would you see things improving, um, from him? Like in terms of his, his raw stuff, you know, command, any, anything particular you would look for as sort of the signal? I want to see his, I want to see his fastball be above average more consistently. Um, because that was the biggest thing that took a hit when he came back from injury. Cause his changeup is still pretty good. His command is still on track to be above average, but that fastball needs to play up more often. Yeah, and if he can do that, I think he'll continue turning uh, turning in good results. Yeah, and it's interesting to look at injury like that because they were, you know, what did he have? Like an oblique and and something lower body, but nothing nothing arm injury wise. And I love those guys. Like I had almost, I, if I was the Tigers, I'd almost hunt guys who are who've been injury prone but not to their arm. <laughs> you know, you guys all know that I'm I'm the the leading optimist on the, the Daniel Norris front. And it's, for me, it's the same thing. Like, you know, hasn't had an arm injury, you know, has dealt with, you know, a, a groin issue that has really gone on for two years and they really struggled to get right. And even this season, he's still kind of dealt with it a little bit, but the fact that he's finally getting an entire season under his belt has been healthy, you know, has, has pitched every fifth day without fail um, and generally been pretty effective. Like, you know, Daniel Norris has been, you know, like a league average starting pitcher this year for the most part. Um, I think maybe even a little bit better than that, but um, but yeah, you see a little bit of the velocity coming back now that they're using him in smaller starts, and I still think that there there's a, a pretty solid chance that finally having an off season where he doesn't have to rehab anything and can actually start building himself up might uh, might see that velocity come back because I just don't believe that you know a guy who never had any trouble with his arm or his shoulder and who is what 25, 26. It's, e- it's easy to forget how young Daniel Norris is, but he's still like younger than Spencer Turnbull. But, um, but, you know, I, wow, I still think really? that, yeah, he is, but I still think that velocity is going to come back. Yeah. He broke into the major leagues when he was 20. Um, the, the blue Jays kind of rushed him maybe a little bit. I don't know, but yeah, I think that can apply to, to Joey Wentz. I mean, you got a guy who's six, five, two ten. um, you know, it, it all kind of lines up in that, you know, the first part of the year, he, 
you know, didn't really seem to be as sharp. Um, it seemed a little bit more like what, what, we, what he was dealing with last season. But as the season got, you know, went along and he started getting more reps under his belt and was healthy, all of a sudden the whole package seemed to start coming together. And for a guy that big who's only, you know, 21, I still think there's a chance he could find a little bit more velocity as well. And that would really help him because um, I think the, the one issue, and I'm sure you would agree, is that the fastball and the changeup are going to play probably, if he, especially if he can get that little bit more um, with the fastball. And obviously the, the command, you know, has to continue to improve a little bit, although I thought he was pretty damn sharp um, in the, the outings I saw him. But it just comes down to the breaking ball. Like he just right now, you know, it's a pretty pretty mediocre breaking ball, I would say. And, um, and he might need, you know, to play with that and, and find something that's a little bit more effective um, for him to really reach his ceiling. Well, whatever it takes, uh, I will be happy to see him continue perform. Well, I'm starting to, I, you know, with all the, the pitch design stuff that's going on these days and the way they can, you know, you can kind of play with grips um, to see how it impacts your spin rate and, and the spin axis and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm starting to feel like if a guy is reasonably close and just needs a small improvement with his with his breaking ball, like that should be something that, that you know, is doable. So... Um, I'm, I'm going to come down on your side, and I don't know if I'd call him my breakout pick for next year, but I do think Joey Wentz um, was an excellent get for Shane Green. And if you're going to rank our pitching prospects, our starting pitch, let's just say starting pitching prospects, where would you have Joey Wentz? I think um, I think I'd put him fourth. Yeah, so would I. Yep. I'd say Mize, Manning, Scooble, Wentz, and I know you'd put Manning above Mize, probably, right? Yeah, I would, but yeah, but I could take it one A, one B. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's and then you know you kind of look at I don't know if we even really want to talk about Franklin Perez because I, I mean I just I don't know what to think. There just isn't anything to say. But he's sort of like off in his own category as like maybe you know four B. Like if he if whatever's wrong with him, they can they can get sorted. Hey, great. Um, but right now it's would you agree that it's just pretty hard to even sort of count? Yeah, in? because he's so good when he's on but it's like he he vanished all of a sudden i think what did someone say in our slack chat um after his most recent injury it almost sounds like he doesn't like to hurt when he's done pitching yeah yeah i mean and that that's kind of mean but it almost seemed right in a way yeah it's tough because when they can't find anything wrong and there's there's really nothing to treat you just start to wonder like either you know somehow structurally he's just not not built to hold up to this or, you know, mentally, he's just, you know, either maybe not doing the recovery work or, you know, just is just one of those guys who just sort of can't can't take that kind of, you know, that kind of pain and suffering. Because there is, you know, I think people, you know, will, can easily forget that a starting pitcher the next day probably feels like hell. Um, I mean, throwing 110 high velocity pitches um, and then, you know, after having warmed up and thrown 50 under that pressure, I mean, guys are hurt the next day. I mean, you get hurt every time you start. And, you know, I just wonder, you know, maybe maybe that means that he'd be better off, you know, is in a move to a relief role or some kind of, you know, some kind of long man, swing man type of thing. But it has been interesting because when he has pitched, he hasn't really looked in, that different. He hasn't really looked like he's lost very much, which is, you know, it's frustrating because, uh, you know, the, the potential is pretty obvious when you do get a chance to, to see him out there. But, yeah, I just don't know what to say at this point. Maybe like a, a Ryan Stanek or a um, Yanni Chirino sort of role? Yeah, yeah, maybe something like that. Um, you know, the Tigers, it's always hard to know, you know, if the way they're using like Daniel Norris and, and Drew Verhagen right now is kind of of – you know, it, it's it's based on a need more so than like a okay, we're going to try this this interesting combination and and try to make this work. But yeah, I mean, if the Tigers were a little bit more creative in how they thought about it, yeah, maybe there is a role for a guy who you know pitches every three days for two or three innings and sort of saves your bullpen. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to know what to make of him right now. Um, well, hopefully, we'll be able to talk about him a little more uh, next season. Yeah. I'm more yeah. of a sample size. Yeah. Let's see. I, I don't really want to like go through everybody else, but of that of that next tier, um, did you have did you have any particular impressions? I mean, if we take a look at like Fiedo, Burroughs, Funkhauser, obviously both of those two guys had shoulder trouble all, all season long. 
um, maybe Anthony Castro in that mix. Um, what are you kind of thinking and expecting from that group next year? Uh, you want the quick bullet points? Yeah, just give me the bullets and we'll try to get onto the hitters because obviously that's where the, the crux of the biscuit is for this organization. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> Maybe a short conversation, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Fiedo, um, obviously the numbers were better, but scouts still weren't extremely impressed with him. So we'll see where the reality lies next season. Um, and I'm still rooting for him because I was his biggest fan when they drafted him, probably at Bless You Boys and almost assuredly among the fan base. Um, Bo Burrows, I don't even know. Um, I'm hoping his struggles were injury related because he only got 15 starts in, uh, but supposedly his stuff was unimpressive as well. Um, yeah, it was kind of hit or miss. Like I saw a few starts where he looked like him, like himself and the fastball and the curveball were both good, but he didn't really seem to consistently have it together. And it was shoulder, no. you know, shoulder stuff ongoing. So it's really hard to know what to, yeah, how much that so would I'm, impact him. But obviously, it did. So he only got seventy four innings on on this in on the season, um, and I'm hoping that next season he'll be able to make it stick a little better in the rotation because um, he's one of those guys that we kind of need as a back end filler. Um, not necessarily need, but it would be nice to have him as a back end filler. Yeah. I, I really don't know what they're going to do with him once they have their five-headed beast of a Toledo rotation in, I mean, of an Erie rotation in Toledo next year. Yeah, that complicates. So here's hoping he makes enough of an impression in spring training. Yeah. That's really what I would like to see. I if could, we I mean, I don't see that, then I wonder if Scooble stays down in Toledo. Or in Erie. I mean, yeah, I, I keep messing that no, up. I'm no. sorry. No, no worries. Yeah, I mean, I could see, I could see that maybe trying to give Scooble a little more time there, just because. Yeah, I mean, you know, you take a look at Mize, Manning, Fayedo. I mean, even Anthony Castro. Really, I mean, there's kind of nothing more for him to do at Double A. Um, yeah, I mean, you no. think all those guys have to have to move up? I almost wonder if you might, cons- if they might consider moving Bull Burrows back to Erie for a little bit of a retool as well. Um, have him and Scooble start the, the season there and see see where things go. I don't know. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, that's not, it's not the worst idea. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely a good problem um, to have. Yeah, it really is. I don't even know what to say about Funkhauser. 92 yeah. innings, none of them particularly good. I mean, he still destroys to Erie, but then 18 starts and he was walloped for 8.53 earned runs per nine <laughs> innings. Yeah. I mean, it's, you don't fake that over 18 starts. Yeah. And, I mean, and they were messy. Like, he would look like like himself for a couple innings, but he just had so many innings this year where he just melted down, um, couldn't find the strike zone, didn't have his changeup. Um, even the slider, which has kind of always been his out pitch, um, I thought backed up a little bit this year. And then you also have, you know, the complicating factor of a, a fairly lengthy, although minor, injury history. And then, you know, another season where he had shoulder trouble and, and just couldn't put it together. Um, and Kyle Funkhauser, I think, is going to be 26 next year. Is it, I mean, I wouldn't do this with Burroughs yet because Burroughs is still young. Um, he's 22. And up until this season, he's been, you know, pretty much a rock, like has never had any kind of um, durability issues at all. But with Funkhauser, isn't it time to just, you know, get a lot, get on with things and, and try him as a reliever next season? I think so. I hate to say it, but I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you kind of look at what happened with Spencer Turnbull and I think maybe some people would like to, to kind of draw some parallels there, but, but the thing is that Spencer Turnbull's stuff, like stuff was just always better and really took a a big step last year. Um, when honestly I wasn't paying that much attention to him. I remember seeing, you know, Turnbull later in the season and was sort of all all of a sudden like, wait a minute, (laughs) like the slider (laughs) and the curveball both look really good now. And he's got two fastballs that, that are really well differentiated, like almost no one else I can think of. You know, that, that was a different ball of wax. And I think, you know, Spencer Turnbull obviously surprised some people. We, we only had him, I think, 13th or 14th um, coming into the season in the Tigers' farm system. But I just don't see that kind of profile with, with Funkhauser. I, you know, maybe you turn him loose, let him throw 96, 97, um, hope the slider comes back, and, and you try to get something out of him. But I, I, I just can't see using, using the space to, to have him starting anymore in the minor leagues. There just isn't really room for him at this point. 
There's going to be some yeah, guys forced out. Yeah, to demote him below his level. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for I, sure. And, I, and, I, and it does feel like he's kind of down to his... It's tough to say about a guy who's, you know, 26 and, like, you know, throws hard at least and, you know, has, has had some success along the way. But, um, yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like next year is, is his time to uh, find a new role and make it work or I don't really know kind of what the Tigers are going to do with him. Then again... I didn't know what the Tigers were going to do with Drew, Drew Verhagen five years ago. <laughs> and he's still around, so you just never know. Well, that's the Tigers for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but things are going to change, obviously, at least on the pitching front. Um, so there, I would assume going forward we're not going to have as many of these guys just like hanging on for bloody ever, um, trying to figure it out. And, of course, Drew Verhagen, as he always does, um, you know, he's, he's an August-September superstar, always seems to like suddenly put it together and look pretty good late in the season. And then they, you know, you bring them back again next year. That, that's a recipe for uh, continued non-success. Yes, continued mediocrity is is forecast. Yes. Um, all right, we should probably move on to to, to some of the the hitting issues. Um, I I do want to just real quick. Is there anybody else you know, kind of that you're looking for that you saw like in West Michigan that you liked? Um, did you see much of Garrett Hill at all this season? I wasn't able to cut. I I wanted to see Hill. I, but I was not able to yeah, because I, don't really to I was it. still in school oh, yeah. um, when he was in West Michigan. Yeah. Uh, excuses, excuses. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had finals to study for. I wanted to make high honors at college, and I oh, did. Yeah. Oh, good job. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. As long as your priorities are right, and they are. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he's a guy who, like, just kind of from – I saw him one time, um, you know, on ML, MILB TV, like – you know, look pretty good, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't really take that much out of it. And he isn't someone who I've seen anybody else getting getting super stoked about among the people who usually are, are a good source of tips um, from Connecticut, West Michigan, etc. So, but uh, was there anybody else down there that, that really, really kind of popped your uh, attention? I, you know, I, I, you know, I like um, Jorge Guzman and he ended up uh, going down with, is he, I think he's going to have Tommy John surgery, isn't he? Or at least he ended um, with elbow trouble somehow. Somehow he did. It it was all the the words that you see when it's leading up to he underwent Tommy John surgery on Tuesday. Um, but you know, I never saw a report that he actually underwent Tommy John. So yeah. I'm thinking that it didn't happen because usually that's not something they'd hide from you. Yeah, and usually it would happen, you know, pretty quick. So yeah. So um, the thing with Guzman, I was totally unimpressed with him. I realize he's the shiny new toy, and I realize I'm raining on the parade again like I did with Wenzel Perez last year. <laughs> um, but, but um, you know, I, the, when the change-up came out, I saw it once, and I was said, wow, so, wow that's, that's the change-up that uh, Jeff Paternostro saw and liked and everyone else saw and liked. But I, you know, I saw it once, and I saw him pitch three times. Yeah. He's got interesting stuff. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think he's a good relief prospect. He's got a really mean fastball. Yeah. But I, I don't think he's as good as everyone is, um, I think, maybe wishfully thinking he is. Yeah. Yeah, and I saw him a couple times this year. And, um, you know, I, again, like, I, I really love the fastball. I liked his delivery, like the whole the whole kind of package. But he's obviously someone who had a really long way to go. And I mean, when you end up with elbow trouble at the end of the year, like maybe, maybe that's been coming on all year long. Like it, a lot of times it tends to, tends to have started much earlier than when the final kind of blow comes. So we'll have to see what happens with him when he comes back, but nobody else really pitching wise kind of, kind of blew you away. Uh, no, no one really grabbed my attention this year. Um, can I just throw two names out there? Yeah. Elvin Rodriguez, I liked him last year. He continued to statistically perform, but I didn't hear anything about him this season. Yeah. Um, and from actual scouts, and I don't live in Florida, so I wasn't able to look at him. Yeah. And you also they um, and the other thing they is, disappear into the void when they're um, in the Florida State League. Yeah. There's very few cameras down there, so yeah, it was tough to get a beat on him. So I'm hoping to be able to see him in Erie next year. Um, but I he'll walk a tightrope. Tight rope. Until he's in the majors, and even then, I think probably, because his room for error is extremely small. Everything relies on him being able to keep his command tight, and when he does, it works. And he looks like a number five star. Really deep on him in my one and only article for Pitcher List. Um, and the other, 
the other name is Zach Hess. I was extremely pleased when I saw that the Tigers were choosing to utilize him as a reliever, and he, everyone was saying that he had the potential to rocket to the majors if they kept him as a reliever, and they are. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. Yep, yep, and he looked really good. And then I'll just throw my boy Carter Montero out there. Hopefully you'll get a look at him next year. Um, who's the other one? Marco Jimenez was pretty good for Connecticut this year. Um, I, I just, I've never really gotten much in the way of scouting reports and it's really hard to get a read on what kind of secondary stuff a guy is throwing from the quality of camera work that goes on in the New York state pen league. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he was, he was definitely seven. Both of those two guys were, look like the cream of the crop down there. So we'll see if anybody's got anything. All right, everyone, thanks for joining us. We're going to break this up into two parts. So this will be part one, where we talk mostly about um, kind of the system overall and about the pitching. And in part two, we'll kind of move on to some of the hitters, um, maybe get into a little bit of an Arizona Fall League preview. And so you can look for that episode coming up shortly. Thanks a lot, and everyone have a good night.